there's three attitudes of this idea behind hardiness. And I think each attitude has a myth associated with it that prevents people from reaching their maximum potential. So this idea of hardiness is this. If change, ambiguity, and unknown, if those things bring you fear, you are less hardy. If those things bring you energy, you are more hardy. It's all about resiliency and creativity under stress. It's performing under stress. That's the idea of, of hardiness. Well, hello, this is your current alumni coordinator, Valerie McKee, and I'm here with you today recording our first Wedgeworthy podcast. As a means to reach our 300 plus statewide alumni audience, I hope that these podcasts will provide you, the listener, with valuable insights into the future of leadership and our agriculture industry, as well as real world leadership testimonies and Wedgeworthy perspectives to think about. So today we're gonna to be hearing from Mr. Elio Chiarelli, Elio works as a financial advisor for Kidder's Advisors and is responsible for client servicing, investment guidance for plan sponsors, retirement readiness, and business development in the southeastern United States. He has a significant background in agriculture education and economics, and he even served as a national officer for the National FFA organization in 2001-2002. Elio received his bachelor's degree in agriculture education from Penn State, and then he received his master's uh, in agriculture education and food and resource economics, as well as his PhD in entrepreneurship from the University of Florida. He has eight years of financial and investment industry experience. Elio is also active in the community through his service with the Gainesville Area Chamber of Commerce, the First Baptist Church of Alachua, the Latin American Discipleship Outreach Mission Board, and the Gainesville Ducks Unlimited Chapter. Elio's dissertation research uh, was focused on the development of hardiness in agricultural entrepreneurs. Elio is going to share with us his findings from interviewing several entrepreneurs in Florida's agriculture industry, including several Wedgworth alumni. And more importantly, he's going to tell us why hardiness attitudes can truly make us Wedgworthy. I want to start off today's podcast by asking Mr. Shirelli to share a little bit more about his background in agriculture. Mr. Kevin Kent is here with me as well, and so he's going to be asking some questions with Mr. Shirelli today. So, Elio, I want you to go ahead and tell us how you got started in agriculture and interested interested in your research. Yeah, sure. Uh, really excited to be with y'all, share some thoughts uh, on this first podcast. Um, yeah, my background uh, wasn't always in agriculture. Started in agriculture through, you know, vocational education, Future Farmers of America. That's how I kind of got started at it in high school. Ended up uh, falling in love with the industry. Fell in love with mostly the people and their stories within the industry. Uh, got my undergraduate degree from Penn State University in agricultural education. And then graduate degrees uh, brought me here to Florida in the university. Been here about 13 years and just never left. Um, you know, my interest in this industry really just comes from the resiliency in the people in it. Uh, the more stories I listen to, the more people that I talk to within this industry, just uh, incredible stories of performing under 
against odds, performing under incredible circumstances, being really resilient in an industry that's that's pretty awesome. So that's kind of my interest area in it. When I started having the opportunity to research folks in this industry, I really looked at wanted to focus on people's stories. I wanted to focus on what made some folks incredibly successful and others kind of hitting more of the status quo. How do people rise to the top in an industry with such great challenges? Um, constantly things uh, bombarding the agricultural industry from all aspects, whether you're a farmer, rancher, grower, it doesn't really matter. You have multiple things coming at you. And not that other industries don't have that, all industries do. Uh, right now, you know, I'm in the finance business, right? So we have our own set of challenges um, and kind of come full circle to to bring me to the finance business. We have all kinds of challenges facing our industry. Uh, we have regulations. Um, we have, you know, changing demands. We have technology. We have uh, crazy global markets. We have all, all kinds of challenges too. And I think the agriculture industry faces those challenges as well. And I wanted to see kind of what made people successful. That's kind of what led me to my research area. You know, when thinking about my research and thinking about the folks that I spoke to, so I really took a look at those individuals that were successful in our industry. Um, and, you know, I, I really define success very loosely. There's a lot of ways to define success, right? Well, I just looked at successful entrepreneurs. That's who really I focused on is the agriculture entrepreneur, what made them successful, I define success very loosely, like I said, by looking at just three aspects. One is they had to be uh, in the business for at least seven years. One, they had to be profitable and growing. And three, they had to have a good reputation within the industry. That's really the only way I defined it. Um, so I didn't really care about the size or actual profits or anything like that. I just really focused on those three areas. And what I did is I asked all the major industry groups as well as influence groups who they would define as successful in the industry. Once I got a list of names, uh, multiple people started popping up on those lists. And I began to follow those individuals for about two years. And originally, I really thought that there was going to be this personality profile of a successful entrepreneur, right? <clears throat> and man, the research would tell me that there wasn't, but I was kind of determined that there was. And, and come to find out, uh, research is right. Um, there is not this one personality profile, right? What I did find, though, is it's more about attitudes. And uh, kind of what I want to focus on today is boiling, instead of just really talking about my research and results, I want to kind of title this podcast, Breaking Myths That Create Barriers. There's three attitudes of this idea behind hardiness. And I think each attitude has a myth associated with it that prevents people from reaching their maximum potential. So this idea of hardiness is this. If change, ambiguity, and unknown, if those things bring you fear, you are less hardy. If those things bring you energy, you are more hardy. It's all about resiliency and creativity under stress. It's performing under stress. That's the idea of, of hardiness. And the research in hardiness, I won't bore you with the details, but it was a lot of it was done with ER nurses. It was done with military leaders. If you graduate from West Point today, you go through hardiness training, just incredible background, incredible results with this idea of changing somebody's attitude and outlook. The first attitude in hardiness 
is this attitude of commitment. Uh, the idea of commitment is this, no matter how bad things get, you want to stay involved with, with what's going on around you. Sinking into detachment or alienating yourself from it, not even in consideration. Hardy people, successful entrepreneurs had this difference. They are committed to staying involved in what's going on around them, no matter how bad things get. That's the key, right? That's the attitude of commitment. The second attitude is, is one of um, control. The idea behind control is this. No matter how bad things get, and you're going to hear that in all of these attitudes, no matter how bad things get, control helps you turn things to your advantage. You don't waste time thinking in thoughts of powerlessness. You lead yourself in the right direction. You believe you can control the outcome even if you can't. That's critical. It's an attitude, this, this attitude of control. So first attitude in hardiness, commitment. Second attitude, control. The third thing is this attitude of challenge. The attitude of challenge is this. No matter how bad things get, challenge helps you realize that life is naturally stressful. Um, it just is. Changing opportunities, changes around you, influences around you, uh, whether you're starting your own business, whether you're working for your own uh, or whether you're working for yourself or working for another organization in charge of a project in a government organization, it doesn't matter. There's challenges all around you. And we can we see those challenges. Hardy people, successful entrepreneurs saw those challenges as opportunities to grow, opportunities to learn. And they saw stress as an advantage because they knew at the other end they were going to be more successful. So that's the, those are the three attitudes, commitment, control, and challenge. So what I'd like to do, the kind of twist I want to put on it, is I want to tie a myth to each one of those attitudes and kind of break that, that myth. The first one is commitment. So you remember the commitment attitude was no matter how bad things get, you want to stay involved with what's going on around you. Um, here's the myth. The myth is think outside the box. And here's what I learned from studying entrepreneurs and what I learned from my own shared experience. Telling people to think outside the box is this really cliche popular term. And I think it's just awful advice. Here's why. Your box is your story. Your box is your shared experience. I don't want you to think outside the box I want you to grow your box and fill it with experiences and stories and other people. I want you to commit to, to stay involved in your own experience. If you're always thinking outside the box, so to speak, you're, you're always seeking what grass is greener on the other side kind of thing. You have extreme value in your experiences, in your organizations, and I want you to be a part of that. I want you to be committed to that. And it's those shared experiences about growing your box and growing within your own space that I think successful entrepreneurs understood. And it was just so different. What I heard from research and what I heard from following these people is they always wanted to grow in their space. They didn't look at, well, those people have a better advantage than me. They started with more money. They started with more connections. They started with with better 
uh, better tools and better resources. None of that existed. It was always, you know what? I'm sitting here in my little box and I'm going to look around me and I'm going to see what I can do better, what I can improve, how I can be a leader in my space. That was the that was the change. That was the difference, right? So myth number one, don't think outside the box. Instead, grow and expand your box through shared experiences. Second, this idea of control. Remember, control was no matter how bad things get, you believe you can turn, um, you can believe you can control the outcome of your own situations. This is another myth. Myth number two, follow your heart. It seems like everywhere you look, Someone's urging you to follow your heart. Film, literature, music, TV shows, culture. Go with your gut. Trust your intuition. Do what's right for you. Believe in yourself. Uh, they all amount to pretty much the same thing. Follow your heart. Um, the problem with this is I think this is awful advice. It's awful advice through my own experiences, and it's awful advice through my research and literally looking at at uh, successful entrepreneurs. I'm sure people offer that advice because it's popular and they don't really know what else to say. But sociologists call this expressive individualism. Uh, a theologian by the name of Charles Taylor calls it the age of authenticity. The challenge with follow your heart is what you're trusting is that your gut and your emotions are controlling your outcomes. Nothing could be more damaging to a situation. If you think about your own experiences, me, myself, in my own business, growing my own business, if I would follow my heart, I would have quit many, many times. Because when, when we follow our heart, we're following our emotions. You can't follow your emotions. You have to lead your heart. You lead your heart into understanding that you can control the outcomes. You don't sink into powerlessness and emotions you deal with circumstances as they come, and you believe that you can control it. You have to lead your heart. We can't follow our gut because when we follow our gut, we pass up incredible opportunities when things get really tough. And when I followed these successful entrepreneurs, they told me time and time again that when they wanted to quit, when they wanted to give up, when they thought things were out of control, that those were the pivotal moments in becoming successful. Our hearts can lead us in the wrong direction if we don't lead it um, just because of influences and culture and what we read and what we see and what we view. And um, my children, although they're very young, I want to teach them that, that we don't, don't follow your heart, lead it, lead it in the direction you want to go. Know what's right, move in that direction. That's control. Myth number two. So myth number one, don't think outside the box. Myth number two, don't follow your heart. The third attitude was challenge. And the uh, idea behind this is the myth of simplify your life. If you Google simplify your life, you're going to find all kinds of crazy titles. Five ways to simplify your life. Ten crucial methods to simplifying your life. Twelve ways to simplify your life today. 16 ways to become the, the better you by simplifying your life. Uh, 72 ideas to simplify your life and Zen habits. Here's the deal. The challenge attitude is this. Life is stressful. It just is. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do things to create less chaos in your life. What I'm saying is 
if we view life as stressful, we're ready for it. It's prepared. If you go into today knowing that there's going to be three or four or 10 or one thing that just simply is going to go unplanned and go wrong, then you're ready for it. You're prepared for it. Your body and mind reacts differently when you expect it. Life is ever-changing. Life is stressful. We're all busy. It's just the way it is. Um, we can try to fight it, and we can try to follow these 72 ways to zen your life, or you can simply say, this stress and this chaos is my opportunity to become a leader. When you are calm in the storm, when you are calm in the stress, when you are calm in the chaos, you become the leader, period. Whether you're the founder and head of a company or whether you're just hired in a huge government organization, it doesn't matter. If you are the calm in the storm, you become the leader. Successful people don't buy into the idea that they have to simplify their life. They simply, can, they simply are, they're challenged by the opportunity to have resiliency through stress. So commitment, control, and challenge, those are the three attitudes of hardiness. And the myths that I think create barriers there are think outside the box, follow your heart, and simplify your life. Early on, um, before we started talking about research, you mentioned uh, following um, these successful entrepreneurs um, and listening to their stories. Um, uh, storytelling is kind of a, a buzzword right now. Um, this is kind of a two-part question. Uh, what was probably the most impactful story that you heard um, that really just kind of set the tone and 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 made you really want to stick this out and find out how to help um, the industry move forward. And then also let's talk about the importance of storytelling. Obviously um, it had an impact on you um, and for their ability to share their story. How can storytelling help producers or successful entrepreneurs or just folks in the industry in general um, move their business forward? Yeah. Good question. You know, um, I think here's why stories are powerful is because people can relate to shared experiences. Um, they relate to it in a big way because they don't believe uh, when, when you can, when you can understand other people's stories and you can relate to them, you feel like you have people coming alongside with you. And, you know, there's lots of stories that stand out to me. I think, um, gosh, I could share lots of different ones. One that, that really, that I think sums up what I was talking about, is, um, you know, there was one story of a, a very successful entrepreneur in South Florida, uh, kind of in the, uh, in the fertilizer business, um, looking at, I guess, started in the, uh, fertilizer business, uh, not necessarily completely there now, but the idea, you know, they moved to South Florida. They're originally from the North, moved to South Florida, um, you know, began to start this own business, um, sought after an opportunity something that sought into an industry and a, and a business that was completely falling apart and completely failing. And somebody came to them and said, you know what, if you can make it run and you can make it successful, you can have it. It's, it's failing. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Uh, we're way behind on everything, but you know what, if you want to take it over and you can make it work, you can have it. Most people would, would run from that opportunity because, um, 
it's failing, it's not run well, um, it's just all these negatives. And, and this person simply saw that as an opportunity. Again, they had a commitment to the challenge, uh, a commitment to the cause. They believe they can out control the outcome of the situation, and they were up for the challenge because they thought, you know what, no matter what I start, it's going to be challenging. There's going to be stress in anything I do. So why not just take this one on? Because at the other end of it, I might have a really successful business. And there were failures along the way and there were heartaches and it certainly didn't happen in a year or two or 10. But they look back 12, 15, 20 years later in a really incredibly successful business. And to me, that, that sums up why that matters, why stories matter, because they took their shared experiences, they related to others, uh, they shared that story with other people and their clients, and they were able to grow that business. We hear a lot of talk now, and you mentioned this um, creative thinking aspect, and especially in our industry, we hear the word innovation a lot. And I think that that word scares a lot of people in terms of, well, I'm not really a creative person, or um, I'm not innovative, or they think innovation, you know, is something super scientific. And then on top of that, uh, when we are talking about innovation, getting people to understand that, you know, innovation isn't bad and, you know, um, innovation is sometimes a good thing. Um, and, and especially when we talk about like GMOs and that kind of stuff, those types of innovations, the public already just has this thing against innovation. And so when we talk about thinking creatively um, from a successful entrepreneur that, you know, that you've come in contact with, what do you think the word innovation means to them and, and why it's important? Yeah, you know, um, the difference between creativity and innovation is really simple. All ideas can be creative, but not all ideas can be innovative. Um, innovation requires something to be successful. So just because I have a creative idea, it doesn't necessarily make it innovative. Um, so I think that's the real difference. And I think here's the key. We, we love to hear our ideas are good. And we love to hear that they're creative. Um, and we love to surround ourselves with people that'll tell us how good we are and how good we're doing. Successful entrepreneurs and truly innovative people see it much differently. If they have an idea and they share it with 10 people and most of those people agree with their idea, they know it's not truly innovative and they kind of go in a different direction. But if they share it with 10 people and it's met with a lot of resistance and a lot of naysayers and a lot of reasons why it won't work, they know they have something. Now, I'm not saying you should not listen to mentors and not listen to advice of experienced people in your industry. That's not it at all. But what I'm saying is we should never surround ourselves with people that agree with us all the time. In order for us to be innovative and therefore generate creative ideas that could become innovative, we have to surround ourselves with people that don't always agree with us. Uh, and we have to share ideas with other people and listen to, to what they have to say and understand that when people give a lot of pushback, that's because we're naturally resistant to change. And that pushback is what moves things forward with true innovations. We can think about um, 
we think about all kinds of inventions and technology and, and things that come through and over time. Um, you know, the simplest example I use is this. If 30 years ago, you were to tell somebody that all of the money that you make is going to be electronically deposited onto this little plastic card with this magnetic strip. And when you go to a restaurant, you're going to swipe that. He's going to take that from you with all of your money on it. They're going to walk away. They're going to swipe it in some machine to take only the money that you use to pay for your meal that day. And then they're going to bring it back to you. And then you're going to sign this little slip to give them approval to take money from that little card. Like how foreign with, was that? How crazy of an idea was that? Where today, we don't even think twice about it. Whereas if you would go to a country like Canada, for example, they would say you're crazy for somebody to walk away with your card. It's just a totally different culture, right? They do it right at the table, different time, different culture. That's a simple example I use that it's how things catch on is when it's met with extreme resistance. We have to really look at it. And I mean, look at it from a perspective of, I might have something here if everybody doesn't like it. What would you recommend as far as a list of tips for building hardiness, um, for working on these attitudes? Uh, I think about, you know, these are deep, these could touch on really deep aspects of our um of our experiences. And, and so it could be something that at this point, you know, if we're looking at ourselves and saying, this is an area that I need to work on uh, to build my hardiness, like it, you know, it could be some touchy stuff, but I just want to hear what would you recommend for our Wedgeworthy audience, um, how they can work on these different attitudes and work on the myths that you identified with each of those. Yeah. You know, um, there's a whole, whole, kind of series of hardiness training that people go through to become more hardy. Like I said, they do it with ER nurses and military leaders and, and all kinds of things. Um, I think that, uh, you know, education calls it grit. Psychology calls it hardiness. Um, you know, all these kind of, uh, wrap around the, um, around the same thing, but the idea that to become more hardy, we have to understand that these attitudes, we have to have all three. We have to build upon these attitudes. Um, there's a really great uh, textbook, the, the Hardiness textbook. It's called Turning Stressful Circumstances into Resilient Growth. Um, you can buy it on Amazon or Kindle or anything, but there's also a, a free PDF of it online. Um, so Hardiness, uh, Turning Stressful Circumstances into Resilient Growth. It's kind of a great way to, to kind of read a little bit more about this concept of hardiness. Um, there's even a chapter of, in there about raising hardy children that I think is really cool. Um, the, what we want to do is we want to focus on these three attitudes. Um, one is, I think the, probably the most important is just understanding that life is going to be stressful. And the more that the culture tells us to, um, you know, zen our life, the more we think that's what we're supposed to do. And therefore, when that doesn't happen in our lives, we think we're doing something wrong. Um, and, and we just need to see that stress as opportunity for growth. Again, that's not to say we want to seek out stress and chaos in our lives, but we just want to be, um, you know, we want to be really careful to not follow what the world is telling us, which is follow your heart, think outside the box, 
Zen your life. We need to be careful with those ideas because when those don't work out in our life, we become really cautious. We become really reserved. We think we're doing a bad job. When in reality, if we're growing our box through those shared experiences, if we're leading our heart through the direction that we're really committed to, and ultimately, you know, we have this concept of, you know, life is stressful, change is going to happen. And at the other end of that stress is a better person, a better product, and a better company. I think it's really comes down to a way of thinking about it. If that awesome time to be in our industry, it's an awesome time to be alive because of the pace, because of the changing technologies and the changing cultures that we have. Um, in this incredibly polarized time is an opportunity for us to build our shared experiences and be able to uh, disagree with something somebody has to say without discrediting them as a person. And when we're able to do that, we're able to bring people into our network to help us with these attitudes. And we're able to bring people into our network that we can say, you know what, if we lined up six ideas or if we lined up six uh, thoughts that we may disagree on a few of them, but that doesn't discredit your opinion and value in the other areas. Um, I think that's really important. Um, our networks, building our networks, and, build, and, and I think that's the great thing about Wedgeworth, is you can find people from all aspects and all networks and all backgrounds and all industries. Learn their stories. Help build your own box because your confidence is increased when you meet people that have expertise in areas that you don't. Don't be the smartest person in the room. Surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and that you can learn from and grow from. I think that's kind of the foundation of, of where hardiness is built. So much, Elio, for sharing these findings from your research. I had the pleasure of reading parts of your dissertation and you really brought this stuff to life. I hope the Alumni Association of the Wedgworth Leadership Institute will continue to have the opportunity to benefit from your work on hardiness as we pursue what it means to be wedgeworthy. As Elio shared about the importance of expanding your experiences by meeting new people and building relationships, I am reminded that the Alumni Association offers this opportunity every year with our annual meeting. This year's annual meeting, if you haven't heard, will be held at the Waldorf Astoria Orlando on July 26th through the 28th. It's also a graduation year, folks, for the Class 10, so be sure to check out the details around this year's meeting so that you can rekindle relationships with your classmates and meet new alumni members and grow your hardiness. So for more information about the annual meeting, you're going to have to go to www.wedgeworthalumni.org slash 2018-annual-meeting. That's www.wedgeworthalumni.org slash 2018-annual-meeting. So this is your alumni coordinator, Valerie McKee, signing off. Thanks, y'all.